So please uh, turn with me now in your Bibles to uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Our text this evening is verses 11 and 12 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Hear God's word. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not sure if you've ever Notice this, but sinful man appears to be addicted to the idea that he can contribute at least something to his salvation. A sinful man thinks about heaven and what it takes to get there. Many insist that they are able to merit favor with God. Some who would fit into this crowd insist that salvation is entirely man's doing. Man's good works, man's religious piety, these are things that are thought to impress God and to make a sinner worthy of eternal life. And while there are many in the world who believe in this way, there's also almost always the belief, uh, this is almost always the belief of those who are outside of Christian circles. Most of those who are familiar at all with the Bible know that there must be some place in the plan of salvation for grace and Jesus Christ. And I say some place for these things, for grace in Jesus Christ, because for many professing Christians, they insist that God's grace in Jesus Christ is not the entirety of what merits salvation. Salvation is said by some to be a matter of what Jesus Christ has done, plus what we are called to do. Jesus Christ plus religious ceremonies. Jesus Christ plus man's faith, uh, plus man's repentance, plus man's good works, plus man's perseverance. Jesus Christ plus man's, you can fill in the blank. suppose the list could go on and on of things that are added to Jesus Christ toward the goal of attaining eternal life. And what we are taught in the verses before us this evening is that our salvation depends entirely upon the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The verses before us this evening are dealing with two particular doctrines. If we want to think of uh, general doctrines, of salvation and, and of theology, and the two main ones that this text have to do with are uh, sanctification and perseverance. Uh, though sanctification and perseverance involve things that we are called to do, they do not depend ultimately upon us to fulfill them. God does the fulfilling. That's, that is why Paul prays that God will fulfill in the Thessalonian believers those things by which God can then count them worthy of his calling. So by way of a quick review, let's consider what sanctification and perseverance are. Sanctification is that work of God making us like Christ. It is an ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers, whereby we are renewed more and more in the inner man, enabling us to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. That's sanctification. Perseverance is the doctrine that teaches once God effectually calls, justifies, and adopts us uh, 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 through Christ into his, his family, that we are forever the children of God. The saved sinner can never lose his salvation. 
That's at least the practical result of this doctrine. It's usually called perseverance of the saints in reform circles because the doctrine is actually being considered from the perspective of the believer, from our perspective. And the teaching is that a true believer, according to the Westminster Confession of Faith, quote, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved, end quote. So the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints says that the true believer will persevere in his faith. Faith is not something that comes and goes. You don't trust in Christ one day and then later turn from Christ and expect to be saved. No one can commit to being a disciple of Christ, later say no to Christ, and expect to be saved anyway. If you trust Christ and are one of his disciples, you will continue to trust and follow Christ till the day you die. Now, not perfectly, right? None of us has perfect faith. No one, no one is a perfect disciple. But if you are a Christian, you will continue your lifelong to repent of sin and you will look to Christ for forgiveness. You will continue to work toward perfection, toward a life of good works out of a love for Christ. And if you do not persevere in these things as one of Christ's disciples, then you can be sure that you never were a true disciple of Jesus Christ. But the point is is this, it's not enough in the Christian life for a believer to say, well, I once put my trust in Christ. I once repented of my sin. I once gave my life to Christ. Back on July 2nd of such and such year, I became a Christian. What you did in the past is irrelevant if you are not trusting in Christ now, if you are not living for Christ right now. The Christian life is a process of growth and progress. It's something that is ongoing Repentance and trust in Christ are things that must be a part of your life every day. And flowing out of your faith must be an ongoing resolve to obey your Savior. And to think of things this way brings out how sanctification really and perseverance are related. If you are persevering as a believer, you are continuing to grow as a believer. Your faith is, is, is getting stronger. Your life is being characterized more and more by the attitudes and actions of one who knows and loves Jesus Christ. Now, this doesn't mean there aren't going to be setbacks in your Christian walk. There are times when you and I struggle. Uh, spiritually, we are weak. We do things that are not becoming a disciple of Christ. And to look at our lives at one particular moment, it can look like we're going backwards spiritually. But if you were to step back and consider the overall direction of your life, it should be in the positive direction. Your life might be described as one step back, two steps forward, three steps back, four steps forward, two steps back, ten forward, etc. But the point is that even with setbacks, the general direction is still in that direction of progress and growth and improvement in becoming like Christ. Whenever a person starts talking about the importance of personal faith and good works and progress and perseverance in the Christian life, it's easy to jump to the conclusion that these things are part of what merit our salvation. After all, aren't we talking about things that we are called by God to do? And isn't the perspective here in verse 11 that there are certain things that if we do them, we will be counted worthy of his calling, that is God's calling. 
Well, let's consider the Apostles' Prayer concerning the Thessalonians and see an instruction both about what we are called to do, but also about who is to receive the credit when you and I and all of God's people are sanctified and grow in our faith. So in verse 11 of our passage, Paul is telling the Thessalonians that he and his companions pray always for them. And what they pray is that God would count them worthy of his calling, that is of God's calling. And when Paul here uses the word that's translated calling, it's a word that in the New Testament always refers to the divine call to salvation. This is the call that comes to the sinner through the gospel and is applied to the sinner's heart by the Holy Spirit so that the elect sinner responds with heartfelt repentance and faith. I'm talking now about what we call the effectual call of the gospel, not simply the call of the gospel that goes forth to to many. In fact, we would say we talk about the promiscuous call of the gospel is to go worldwide to everyone. Uh, We're not talking about that. We know that that call, the call to people to believe, ends up going to many who never end up believing. But we're talking about here the call of God that is actually heeded. The, the call that has the effect of bringing a sinner into the fold of God. And Paul's prayer is that the Thessalonian believers will live and will act in such a way that it will be evident they have been truly called by God with this effectual call, that they've been called by God into a state of salvation. And it's important that all believers, including you and me, live in such a way that God also would count us worthy of his calling. The context tells us that when Paul prays this prayer, he's still thinking about judgment day. He's thinking about that day when all people will stand before Christ as judge. He is thinking about the reality that we will be judged according to the deeds that we have done. Uh, Matthew 16, 27 says, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will, re- will reward each person according to what he has done. And the prayer that Paul has for the Thessalonians is a prayer that we all ought to take to heart personally. It is a prayer that on that day God will count us worthy of his calling. Will our lives give evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in us? If you were to die today, would God look at your life and judge you to be worthy of his calling? We would be right at this point to ask the question, well, what kinds of things what what things are, are what what things is God looking for? Uh, what was Paul praying would be evident in the lives of the Thessalonians? What ought to be evident in our lives as disciples of Christ? Well, the two particular things that are mentioned they're they're mentioned toward the end of verse eleven, and uh, Paul writes there, we pray. Uh, he's, he's saying, we pray always for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. So the two things that we need God to fulfill in us are these, a resolve for good and the work of faith. Literally, this resolve for good is the good pleasure of goodness or very literally, the delight of goodness or desire of goodness. And what this expression refers to is the delight, the desire, the will, the pleasure that flows from an upright heart intent on doing good. 
The NIV correctly speaks of the Thessalonians, every good purpose. Of course, the ESV says resolve for good, which is also a good translation. And the idea is that the Thessalonians and we along with them need to grow in our desire to do what is good. Part of our sanctification is that from the heart, we more and more delight in doing God's will. Our wills and the choices that we make ought to be guided by a desire to glorify God. And yet we need to be reminded that God is never satisfied by mere desires. Right? These desires must flow outward into actions, which is why we also read in verse 11 of the work of faith. This is referring to those good works that flow out of faith. These are works that flow out of a changed heart that is no longer trusting in self, uh, no longer trusting in religion, um, not trusting in anything but the person and work of Jesus Christ. So these are works that are done to the glory of God out of thankfulness for the grace of salvation in Jesus Christ. Remember the teaching of Scripture that faith without works is dead. There is no such thing as a faith in Jesus Christ that does not reveal itself in obedience to God. And we might also say that works without faith are dead. Um, After all, Scripture says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Works that are done by the unregenerate person, by an unbeliever, they are not good works as far as God is concerned because they're not done to the glory of God. Uh, That means they can only really uh, be done for selfish reasons. Um, Usually good works are done by unbelievers in order to merit salvation or because they they have figured out that uh, the way of following God's law is a way of life that avoids a lot of personal problems, avoids a lot of difficulties. But either way, they obey God's law for what it will do for them. Of course, they are also obeying God's law only externally because their heart motive is not uh, to glorify God. It's not, they're not motivated by a love for God. This brings us now to verse 12 and to the question of what our motives ought to be in all of this. Why is God concerned about our desires to please him and that we are doing these good works out of faith? Why should it be our own personal desire to be counted worthy of the calling of the gospel? And the answer is not ultimately what man expects. Whenever we hear God call us to good works and to do those things that indicate we belong to him, our thoughts tend to go to the direction of merits. We think that God is telling us what to do in order to merit eternal life. Our thought process naturally turns to thinking that we've got to do such and such in order to make God happy with us. This is true even at first glance with what we read there in verse 12, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're very familiar, right, with this idea that we are to do good works to God's glory. One of the main goals in God regenerating us, converting us, and saving us is that our lives will be a living display of God's gracious work. Your character as revealed in your attitudes and actions and in all of your life, should lead those around you to praise God. Even the goal of your salvation is that God will be glorified by the mercy and grace that, um, that, that have been worked in your life that, that show that God is merciful and gracious to helpless sinners. 
This is what is meant by the expression of verse 12, that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. Uh, This idea that Jesus is glorified in us is very similar, uh, very uh, very familiar uh, to us. It's a familiar expression, but what about what follows? That, That sounds very similar, the phrase, and you in him. Think of that, and you in him. This is saying that we also will be glorified. And uh, what is in mind here is the second coming of our Lord and Judgment Day and how the glories of heaven will be ours on that day. Jesus' return will not be only about glory for him, but it's going to be a day of glory for us as well. It will be a day in which we are judged to be worthy of eternal life, a day in which we, we will be rewarded, a day of victory for us. Notice that Paul is talking about our glory in the context of why we need to be people who are persevering and growing in godly desires and works. And so the great question is, is the Apostle Paul then here telling you and me that we will merit our glory by our godly desires and by our works? Is heaven about celebrating what we have accomplished? Will we be counted worthy of God's calling because of good works that we have done? And how these questions are answered determines whether or not we really understand the gospel. There are professing Christians who think that God simply puts us on the path of salvation and then leaves it up to us to merit our own way. Others say that Christ puts us on the path of salvation and then in grace gives us tools by which we can do those good works that merit salvation. It's this reference to grace that disguises much false doctrine. The Roman Catholic Church is a good example of this. It insists that we are saved by faith and grace. It says that we can never do a good work apart from grace. And you think, well, that sounds good. But it also teaches that our works done through grace are part of what merits our salvation. But to the contrary, what you and I need to always understand is that our works carried out by grace or not, are not meritorious. There is nothing that we can do that merits God's favor. Our only source of merits and favor with God is his son, Jesus Christ. Your trust for salvation must not be in what you do, even if it's accomplished only by grace. Not trust in religious ceremonies. Your trust must not be in in that direction. It must not be in anything but what Christ accomplished through his perfect obedience and through his death upon the cross. And this is actually perfectly clear in the text before us, but we have to be paying close attention to what's being said. Notice when verse 12 speaks of Jesus Christ being glorified in you and you in him, you must not leave out that phrase, in him. Our glorification will take place only because of our association with Christ. This is not a glory that we deserve or acquire on our own. Uh, This is something that is ours because of our relationship with Christ. So Leon Morris, in his commentary, writes these helpful words. He says, quote, The Thessalonians, too, will be glorified. Their glory will result from their association with the Lord. And thus Paul speaks of their being in him in this connection. On that day, just as he will be glorified in them on account of what they have become, so they will be glorified in him on account of what he is, end quote. 
It's also vital to notice what Paul says immediately after saying that we will be glorified in Christ. He says, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. As soon as scripture speaks of our being glorified, it immediately brings up the grace of God. It's as though God anticipates how we are going to naturally naturally react to this idea of our being glorified. And God immediately cuts short the idea that we deserve glory or that we have any glory of our own. But our glory is according to God's grace. And uh, grace is always something we do not deserve. Grace means we're getting something good on the basis of the merits of someone else, and that someone is Jesus. Everything that we will be and have on the day of the Lord is a gift of God that comes to us through Jesus. There's more that must be said in order to cast down every suspicion of human merit. Let's go back to verse 11 for a moment. Take stock of the fact that this is a prayer to God, asking him to do certain things in us and for us. The prayer is that God would count us worthy of his calling. The prayer also takes the form of a request that God would fulfill or complete every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. So let's take a look at the several parts of this prayer more closely. First, it is God alone who can count us worthy of his calling. No prayer or work can make us worthy. The fact of the matter is that we are utterly unworthy of any status with God. We are unworthy to be called to salvation in the first place. We are unworthy to remain in the state of salvation. Never can we say that we are anything but unworthy in and of ourselves. But thanks be to God that there is a way by which he can count us worthy. It is the way of giving us the gift of faith. With the result that as we put our trust in Christ alone for the forgiveness of our sins, God actually forgives us of all our sins and imputes to us the righteousness of Christ. He counts or judges us as we are in Christ. On the basis of Christ's death and obedience, he in that sense, counts us worthy of his kingdom. Meanwhile, as we await his coming, we want to do good works out of gratitude to him. We want to do those things that glorify him. Our desire is that on the last day, God will count us worthy of the salvation that we already have, and we hope that he will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. It's only by his work in us that we have both the desire and ability to do any good works. And our prayer ought to echo that of Paul's, that our lives will be lived in a godly way, so that on Judgment Day, God will be glorified in us and us in him. It ought to be your desire that on that day, God will be able to highlight works in your life that prove the validity of the calling you have received. Be counted worthy is not a pronouncement of salvation based on your works themselves, but in this instance, it is a pronouncement made on Judgment Day based on what Christ has done in us by the power of the Holy Spirit and merely confirming that indeed he has called us and done a work of grace in us. We will be judged by our works only in the sense that our works will be confirming evidence of our standing with God through faith in Christ. And our lives can be judged by our works because the life of the Christian will be marked by godly desires and by good works of faith. 
as Jesus judges every thought, intent, and action of every, every single person. He will know his own. He will know those in whom a work of grace has brought forth such good fruit. You and I must never imagine for a second that our works have anything to do with our earning favor with God. When God calls us into an estate of salvation, there are no good works except those of Jesus Christ on which uh, to count us worthy. And now as believers, there is a worthy or unworthy way to respond to the calling that we have received by grace, but it's been earned and merited entirely by Jesus Christ. And the question is not, are you doing good works that make you worthy of being called by God, but rather, are you doing works that are fitting, that are appropriate, that are worthy to offer to a God who in his grace has called you to salvation? Hope you can recognize the difference there. The question is not, as I repeat, the question is not, are you doing works that make you worthy of being called by God, but rather, are you doing works that are fitting, that are appropriate, that are worthy to offer to a God who in his grace has called you into salvation. Even though we as God's people are called to respond to his salvation with godly desires and works of faith, these desires and works are not what merit our salvation. Notice the end of verse 11 and that phrase, by his power. This is talking about God's power. God is the source of all power by which a sinner can do good works. It is God's power working in us that makes any appropriate response even possible, thus negating any possibility of meriting salvation. Do you desire this power of God to be at work in you, sanctifying you, enabling you to persevere in your Christian walk? Do you want this power of God giving you ever-increasing desires to do good, as well as the ability to do actual good works of faith? And pray this prayer before God. Pray this prayer with yourself in mind. And not because you want to look good before God, but because you want to glorify God, the God who saved you. Pray it with thanksgiving in your heart because God in his grace is going to one day glorify you in his son. Think of it. You will share in Christ's glory. So close is your fellowship with, between you and the Lord as his, as, as his children that what is his is yours. Apart from him, we are and we have nothing. But connected to Christ by faith, we have everything. And there's nothing greater than Jesus being glorified in us and us in him. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would indeed carry out this work in our lives, that you would make us worthy of your calling, that you would fulfill in our lives by your power every resolve for good and every work of faith. Lord, our desire is that our lives would manifest the work of your grace in us, that it would be manifest that we are yours, saved by grace, saved through the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that through a resolve for good for, and through these, these works of faith that the name of our Lord Jesus would be glorified, uh, that he would be glorified in us and that we also would be glorified in him, that we would share in his glory one day. And we recognize, Lord, that this is all according 
to your grace. This is all a matter of you giving us what we do not, uh, do not deserve. But Father, we do pray that you would carry out this work in us, that, Lord, we would live in a way that pleases you, that, that is, is worthy of this great calling that you have given us. May our lives reflect a deep thankfulness for your work of grace. And uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.